Greetings, listeners. I'm Dave Kale, the co-host of Riddles in the Dark, and today co-host of Riddles in the Dark Digest. Back for, that's right, another episode. We are just hammering them out. And although these are all being released as separate episodes, you wouldn't believe it, but Trish and I are actually doing this all in one afternoon. I mean, we've been here at this for hours and hours. That's how dedicated we are to you. Uh, (laughs) Yes. And this week, we are going to do the biggie, the split. Uh, We're going to talk about all things episodes six and seven, which covered how will the first film, where and how will the first film end, as well as how will the battle with the necromancer at Dol Goldor be handled. So let's get right to it. I'm Dave Kale, and with me is my co-host, Trish Lambert. Hello, Trish. Hello, Dave. Are you are you still feeling energetic? You starting to get worn out a bit? No, I am, no, I can't think of a better way to spend a day than talk about Tolkien and The Hobbit and Riddles in the Dark and you know, I'm I'm ready for the next one. <laughs> Good. I'm I'm a sick puppy. What can I tell you? <laughs> I'm so excited to hear that. I'm so excited to hear that. That's what that's what we need. We need more demented people that think that this more is a people. good way to spend their free time. Um, <clears throat> so. Uh, this this time we're uh, in our furious attempts to catch up to where the main riddles in the dark episodes are. We're we're, we're hitting these uh, two at a time whenever possible. Um, and this time we're we're the the topic of discussion will be the infamous two part episode from a couple months ago where we finally got down to the most con- most hotly debated uh, feature of the Hobbit film on the internet and everywhere probably, which is. Where will the episodes be split? And kind of a related issue, which is um, what in the heck is going on with the White Council storyline? And, and and sort of where will that, you know, we, we kind of gambled and said that we think that will be in the first film. And so how will that be executed? Um, <clears throat> just sort of some general kinds of announcements. I presume you guys will probably be, we're recording this on Saturday, July 7th. As I said, we're doing the, knocking this all out in the afternoon for me, the evening for Trish, um, afternoon, evening for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but I presume probably you guys will be listening to this next weekend. I'm thinking this one will come out in about a week or so. Uh, anyway, um, uh, we just want to give you some updates. We're in addition to getting the the digest episodes going and stuff. We're adding some new things. Um, we're we're going to start adding. We we've talked about this. I don't know when this will be implemented, but we're going to add questions, additional sort of um, B questions. The A questions will be on the main rules in the dark episodes. The B questions, which um, uh, we were inspired to do this, I think by the purse. The talking purse for the trolls, that's right? right? <laughs> yeah, I think there was right. another. There was another yes/no question from an earlier episode that we we talked about, but I've forgotten what it was. Oh shoot! Yeah, me too. Yeah, we'll see if see if it comes to us. But so the talking purse was the big one because people were kind of upset that we didn't, or not upset, but people were like, "Wow, you guys didn't talk about the talking purse," and it was like, "Oh man, missed opportunity." Uh, and we couldn't do a question on it anyway because Corey and I have generally. Uh, tried not to do binary questions. We focused on multiple choice questions, but um, Trish and I were like, hey, let's add, let's, we can add those in these digest episodes and there'll be extra questions uh, that we can run by our analysts and by Corey as well. And, uh, and I actually, believe it or not, I, I chatted with Corey on the phone briefly this afternoon, Trish, and he was like, thinks that's a great idea. So 
so we're going to be trying to do that. So there is going to be new novel exclusive content on these episodes, including new questions as well as also um, Trisha's – you'll get to hear Trisha's prediction first time here. Um, and uh, we're also contemplating exciting changes to the uh, to the Mythgard site, uh, or not the Myth, but the Riddles in the Dark part of the Mythgard site to try and make it more interactive. Because our hope is to really get you guys involved in this game. So uh, keep your eye out on that, and and just for what it's worth. If you are the kind of person that has the right set of skills to contribute to that, like you have time to blog, or um, in particular, uh, I, to make this thing interactive, we're going to need some folks who are good at doing JavaScript programming and building interactive sites. Something that I'm, it's not my wheelhouse, although I can pick it up, so I'm going to try to do it. But if there is like a person who's a huge fan who has those skills and some time to donate to it, I would love to hear from you. Kale at MythGuard.org. Um... So, uh, the split. Let's start with episode six. Um, uh, did you, uh, how long ago was it that you listened to this, Trish? Oh my gosh. <laughs> long time? Well, yeah, but I also, you know, I, I, listen, I know I listened live to this, um, and I had some very strong feelings about it because I was actually talking to the screen. I was talking to you guys while you were. <laughs> You You're shouting us. No, show. you idiots. No, no, no. I, but I was actually having a conversation. And I remember Father Roderick joined you, didn't he, for, the, for uh, session six? He joined us for seven. Oh, the... oh, I thought it was for six. because. But the reason I say that is because uh, part of my ch- choice was in agreement with Father Roderick. So I must have heard him. Maybe you guys talked about it on Secrets of the Hobbit. But anyway. Well, I um, think what we did is we, he joined us on seven. And what we did is we let him uh-huh, give us okay. – we we let him give us his six answer on oh, episode okay. seven. So um, I don't remember what what was his answer. His answer was uh, not to uh, not to spoil uh, it or whatever. But ah uh, uh, yes, oh yeah. This, this there's actually general. There was a lot unit. of yeah. There was pretty much consensus. Yeah, wasn't consensus there on this one. On this one. Yeah. There was there was one oddball. Shockingly, Mark Fisher. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Poor Mark. <laughs> yeah. Poor guy on his unbroken string of A's continues. Um, so anyway, he. Um, but you did make a point of saying that Arwen has as many A's as Mark does now. It's just poor Mark. Ah, uh, yes, but you branded. know what? That was on the original inaccurate count of A's. Oh, that's right. That's right. I think he's that's now right. pulled ahead. Once that's I pulled. once I fixed it, he's got he's got six to Arwen's five. So, but yeah, this this was a fairly, although a very controversial topic in general. Um, uh, and hotly debated on the internet about the split. Our particular question ultimately right. uh, exhibited wi- like like widespread consensus. And and I actually think, despite all of the debate, I do think the internet generally, the, like the crowd generally, has settled on a particular spot for the split, apart for some some outliers. Pretty much. I mean, I I do remember. I know it was when you did the show with Father Roderick, mm-hmm. and I can't remember where we were when you guys when you and Corey did Riddles in the Dark. But the mm-hmm. the um, production video had come out, you know, yes. and we had the the video of the of barrels. And I do remember this. I clearly remember was talking to you and Father Roderick when I was in the car listening to your podcast. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> about the split. <laughs> yeah, and, and in particular, it's this general sort of like in the production videos, and you saw this in the most recent one too, that anything that happened to be on screen that represented material content from the second film was X'd out. And Peter Jackson, uh, I think at the start of production video five or six, said something like, um, oh, well, that's, you know, we're here in this location, but oh, I, I can't tell you or show you anything because this is all for right. movie two, so you can't see it. And so people have interpreted that to say 
they cannot show us anything from movie two, therefore anything we've seen must be in movie one. We've right. seen barrels and rivers, therefore those must be in movie one, therefore the split must be uh, during the barrel ride or toward the end of the barrel ride or at the start of the barrel ride. Basically, the dwarves are in barrels by the time we reach the end of movie right. one. Right. Um, uh, and, and I know, I think it was you, wasn't it, who basically said, well, that's not necessarily the case. Yes. You know? Father Roderick expressed the opinion that 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 is that this is uncontroversial. It's settled. They they that it, that it is a hundred percent for sure that anything they've shown us is a movie one. Therefore, the split must be at some point during the barrel ride. My response was like, well, I don't know if it's that. Like, right. I don't know that you necessarily have to interpret. Like, it could be that they fudged on showing us a few things early on that are in movie two, but they don't want to show us anything too definitive, like the Lonely Mountain or Smaug or anything like that. So I, I'm willing to accept that maybe they showed us the barrel ride and then decided later that, to push that off into movie one. Ultimately... I don't believe that's what they did. Ultimately, I believe that they actually that the split will be during the barrel ride. But well, yeah, since since this episode, there's been so much uh, product. You know, we've got the photos from Entertainment Weekly. Yep. There's been more stuff about the barrels. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, I think now with the, you know, what the volume of photos and whatnot we've seen on the barrels, I think now. You know, I think we pretty much all pretty much agree that that's probably the end. At the time, though, we only had just the one thing, and so mm-hmm. it was not absolutely clear. Yes, I, I I feel somewhat bad for 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 anyone, Mark Fisher, who happened to uh, not pick <laughs> an answer consistent with um with uh with the bar- with the movie ending at the barrel ride. Although I, I I do think we'll get into this a little bit, but I do think that this um. That our, our, despite our attempts to make this as clear as possible, that there will be some wiggle room on these answers. Um, I, I do think that that it's it seems highly likely that's where the split will be. That it'll it'll end. Yeah. And and end somewhere during the barrel ride. Um, but I don't think it's settled. I think there's still a possibility that they could that they like. I I also think the barrel ride evidence that that controversy aside. Just thinking about where good spots to split it are, I do think the other ideal place to split it is with their capture by the elves. Right, and that was what I originally wanted until I saw the barrel. Uh. <laughs> you know, I originally was like, I was thinking in terms of what you know, what would be the mm-hmm. you know the most suspenseful because I mean, let's face it, we're gonna you know he's I would assume he would want to give us a cliffhanger yep. at the end of you know movie one. So the dwarves imprisoned and Bilbo. You know, invisible skulking around, you know, the halls of the Elven King would be the perfect cliffhanger. Yes. But then we saw the barrel footage and then it was like, well, okay. And I still am actually of this mind. If we got the barrel footage, at what point in the barrel thing does yep. the movie end? Well, and, and that's, um, and, and, uh, this, this gets into why did we, why did we pick the question that we picked, which is, uh, we, we didn't, we, we deliberately chose not to ask a question that is, where will the split be? Because our concern was that, you know, like it really could be just about anywhere. Uh, And we and we were worried that we wouldn't be able to that we however many answers we enumerated, we might get it wrong and no one would get the answer right. Whereas we feel like uh, our approach here um, 
where we ask rather what will be the tone of the final moment, it actually allows the split, each of these answers allow the split to be in a variety of places, and really yeah, it's yeah, more right. how is it presented. Right. Uh, it, I guess it's possible that we actually could be wrong, that maybe the tone will be completely different, but I actually think the tone will be in one oh, of Oh, I these. think the ones you picked were definitely... Yeah, are it's the called, most It's likely. almost kind of like out of filmmaking 101, isn't it? Those four choices. Yes. Suspense, hope, foreboding, yeah, for, and grief. For a two-part cliffhanger type yeah. uh, movie one ending. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So so that's why we now, chose that. Now, I do want to actually talk to you. I do have some thoughts now with regard to sort of the barrel thing and the nature of sort of the first movie and the second. But I don't want to do that now because that'll, like, let's... Let's go through all this and listen to the analysts and all that. Okay. And then I, I, but I, remind me that I have kind of a, a, an observation that I think you'd mm-hmm. like to engage on. Yep. Yep. Um, th- and so that's why, so ultimately, the reason we chose this question or the other was, was, um, one, because we thought this one was actually a better question in terms of, of just structurally, yeah. was, had less risk of having right. a unexpected, our, our, always our fear is that, the correct, ultimately, the way things happen will be something that wasn't included in our in our choices, and we get sick of picking none of the above. We we weren't imaginative to come up with an answer. We we don't like doing that. So, but we also think this but, is a little more interesting and nuanced question. Oh, the other thing right. too is that there were folks like Father Roderick who thought who think the split location is not a question. Their you know their their answer to this is that's settled. We know where it is. It's con- we you know we've established where the ending is. This allows that person to engage in a still heavy debate, which is okay, right. fine. You think the location will be there? What's the tone going to be? So, What's the tone be? and we think it worked. Father Roderick thought this was sort of a better question than a where is the split question. Yeah. So, um, I would explore. So the the question is, what will be the tone of the final moment of the Hobbit and unexpected journey? Um, now, we, are you uh, letting uh, Golden Star? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I would oh, I would explain sorry. the four answers, but actually, American Golden Star do a great job of explaining them. Well, technically, American Golden Star just read the email that I sent to our analyst explaining it. So I did so a great job. So this will be Merrick reading you. Yes. Yeah, so, Dave but instead of instead of me just re re explaining it here and then trying to cut out his explanation. Uh, I'm going to be lazy and just play his whole thing and let him explain the four answers, and then they will provide their answers as well. So let's take a listen. Okay. Great. All right. So Riddles in the Dark. This is where we stumble over Tolkien's lore and pretend that we know what we're talking about. Hooray! Yay! So what will the tone? The question this week is: What will the tone of the final moment of the Hobbit movie, An Unexpected Journey, be? Will it be suspense? Will it be hope? Will it be foreboding? Or will it be grief? Suspense, meaning a cliffhanger, where the immediate fate of a character hangs in the balance. An immediate character? I can't think that would be an immediate character. Example, book four of Lord of the Rings, The End of the Two Towers, ends with Frodo captured and imprisoned in Sirith Ungol. What will become of him? If you think the film will end with the dwarves captured by the elves, you might think that the fens film's ending will be suspenseful. Hope or relief means that things are looking up for the heroes, even if the things recently were bad. Example, book two of The Lord of the Rings, the end of the Fellowship of the Ring book, not the film, ends with Frodo and Sam reuniting and setting off together. This is in contrast to the film's version's ending, which is foreboding. If you think that the film will end with a dwarf's arrival in Lake Town, perhaps you might say the film will end on a hopeful note. Foreboding, or ominous, in contrast with suspense, means that peril lies ahead. There is an ominous sense of danger, lying in wait, but not immediately threatening. Example, the end of the two towers film. Excuse me. 
We'll wrap up with Gollum formulating a cryptic plot with his alter ego. Doesn't bode well for the heroes if you expect, as I do, or this is, uh, or as Dave does, that the film will end during the barrel ride as the Lonely Mountain looms large, perhaps with zoom and shot onto the mountain and a final blast of dragon fire in the dark. You might say that it will end on a note of foreboding. Grief or loss ends with something bad happening, such as the death of a character. Hard to come up with an, an example. If the Fellowship of the Ring had ended with the death of Boromir, we might have set its ending note with grief or loss, but it didn't, and it wasn't. Hmm. Now, do, I'm... Do, 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 do. do you have an answer for this? Because I have an answer ready for this. Go for it. I'm saying it's foreboding. Okay. I'm think, thinking it's going to be right before they hit Mirkwood. Um, really? Go ahead. I'm not... Maybe not. But I was thinking that, yeah, they're going to go into this really spooky place. Um, Gandalf has to leave. So they're by themselves. You think that's too far in the book? No, I was thinking that they would be like... I was, I was thinking kind of foreboding, but I was thinking more like that they would be captured uh, by the elves. So you think it's further in? Yeah, I thought it would be further, a little bit further in. So you think it's going to be... Hmm. Well, maybe it's it could be like that, or suspense, like uh, Bilbo's alone. You know, all the dwarves have been taken. True. I don't know. Cliffhanger. I don't know. Cl- yeah, the cl- I kind of thought that to me, and I, I don't know. I don't know anything about. I have not been keeping track of the movie at all. Uh, I don't. Th- well, I don't think anybody knows the answer to this. That's why it's a, it's a question. Yeah, I, I kind of can't like Google the answer to this. <laughs> I'm gonna say, oh, I don't know. Let's see. I don't think it's gonna be. I don't know. I don't think it'll necessarily be suspense, but I kind of think foreboding. Really, I think foreboding. Foreboding feels right to me. Even though I, I don't know if it'll be. I always thought that. I've been thinking that them being captured by the elves and being brought before kind of is, is like a good stopping point because they're they're in jail and everything and they can't go forward and I would think suspense would work, but only if like the mix movie was coming out soon, like yeah. a year or two to be in suspense is a right. little bit much. Yeah. Uh, hope, eh, maybe the ending of the second one is going to be on a happier note, but I don't think the the first one is going to be in a happy note at all. Not, not like no. Or, or relief and grief. I can't think of anything griefy that happens. What happens is gr- like sad. Like there's no Boromir dying. Mm. Well, no, but that's way too far in. Thorin dies. Spoiler. <laughs> no, that's not going to be the ending of the first one. Yeah, no, that's way too far. That's <laughs> way, way, way too far. That's after that's at the end. So, uh, no, that's, uh, no, I, Either way, we we both say that foreboding, like kind of kind of similar to what he did with them leading Gollum, leading Frodo and Sam into the past, and talking about how he's going to have them eaten. So we know, you know, he's he's moving them in there, and it's just kind of like you know that there's kind of a what's going to happen next, where you know what is he talking about, kind of thing. So. I'll go with foreboding. I don't think I don't think hope really fits into it because I don't hope. I think is saved for the very last. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like you would end it there unless you're like stopping. I can't even think of some place where you could stop where it'd be like everything's hopeful and good. (laughs) Suspense happens, but suspense usually is held for like 
I don't know, not more for epic stuff, kind of more for action, TV dramas, and Doctor Who episodes that make you nuts. I hate To Be Continued. I hate it. <laughs> when I, my favorite show doesn't end To Be Continued, I throw a hissy fit. I hate it. She has, to, especially Doctor Who, she has to have Doctor Who be able to be watched all in a row. I do. I stopped watching them on the, on the TV and now I just get the DVDs and I just watch them from beginning to end because I cannot handle to be continued. They're too good. They're too good. Not she can't it. It. <laughs> You have never seen her throw a fit before. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. I've got the next one queued up. Sorry. Uh, Andy is saying the midpoint of the book is the barrels. So it might be there and that could maybe be the barrels are a, good too. The it could be, that could be seen as a hope or relief. They've gotten away from the, from the elves they're on their way to dale things are yeah i thought i thought that that wouldn't you know to me that also makes a good midpoint as well so that is possible i i i don't know we'll see we'll see so i'm gonna go with foreboding though i'm still gonna go with foreboding it could be hope now andy's got me thinking maybe it could be hope but I'm going to go with my fruit. We are documenting gut. in this podcast that Andy said it is hope. So if he's right, we can all congratulate him. Yeah, that's excellent. <laughs> There's your four answers. And unsurprisingly, um, uh, American Golden Star pick, both pick C, like nearly all of our analysts did. Like I said, this is actually ultimately, uh, despite our, our thoughts that this was a great question, it proved to be as uncontroversial as where the split would be. Um <laughs> But uh, but that should give you a notion of sort of what the four answers are: suspense, hope, foreboding, and grief. And hopefully my my uh, my explanation read by Merrick uh, clears it up for folks. Um, do you have any clarification questions that you'd like to ask Mm-mm. Trish or, or comments? No, okay. I think I I think the four, like you said, I mean I think this is a really good choice, and I think it it doesn't leave anything open for interpretation. In other words, this is going to be a real easy one to yes. figure out when we see the movie. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, ultimately, uh, the way we had sort of been thinking about it was we sort of started with um, suspense would be, and like I said, we're our attempts were to connect this to where the split would be. Our yeah. thinking was if you're if your final if your final moment if they decide to split it with them captured by the elves then or or even maybe at the spiders then that would be a suspenseful ending i mean it's not really suspenseful because we know they escape but but you know let's assume you're an un, unsuspecting film goer you know maybe you don't know what's going to happen to them or you don't know maybe you know there's another movie so obviously some of them escape but maybe you don't know if some of them won't escape right um, right our, our thinking with hope was that they would arrive, like this would be the barrels floating up into Lake Town, and that would be your mm-hmm. last shot. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. we escaped from the elves, and everything's fine. Um, our foreboding is, uh, thought was basically that ending, but then some little sequence where you sort of pan up and you look at the the lonely mountain, and mm-hmm. and then you start to zoom in, and you maybe fly up to the secret passage. And you sort of start flying down this dark tunnel, and then you start to see a hint of light as though you're coming in an opening. And then there's dragon fire. Um, that that would be the foreboding. It's like, <laughs> these... what did you answer, Dave? <laughs> yeah, the, that's right. And that's why that's why ultimately, I, as we were brainstorming that ending, which I think maybe Father Roderick was responsible for that yes, original that yeah, original image. Yeah. My mind latched on that. I'm like, oh well, that's what it yeah. will be. That will be like yeah. the that's like the ideal ending. The ending where it's like, hey, we escaped, everything's fine. Now we got to go fight a dragon. Oh God. Um, <clears throat> and then grief. 
which we are we like like frankly we could not come up with any kind of, we just threw this one in there we couldn't come up with with any real plausible way that the film would end with grief but yeah I mean, you never know so um so those are those are our four answers um let's uh, hear from some of our analysts we don't have any audio to play other than casual stroll which we've just played so let's launch into uh reading the responses we got from Mark Fisher and the Last Alliance so uh, Mark says, before I started looking into this in any detail, I imagine the story structure of The Hobbit would divide quite neatly into two at the point where Gandalf leaves the dwarves and they set out into Mirkwood on their own. The fact that they pass a boundary through a gate into a new and more perilous domain makes this a neat literal and symbolic breakpoint, not to mention the more prosaic fact that it's also exactly halfway through the story. That would make the answer a nice C on your scale. Uh, definitely a foreboding ending to the first film. However, a quick scan of the various clues and hints around the web make this look pretty unlikely. Actually, the split seems to be coming late, rather later. If various hints dropped in interviews are in any way reliable, it looks like the dwarves' escape from the spiders and captured by the wood elves is the most likely splitting point. <laughs> If that's right, then the question is trickier to answer. From the dwarves' point of view, it's a suspenseful ending. On the other hand, from the audience's perspective, since we know that the wood elves are ultimately on the right side, and there's a reasonable chance we'll see a familiar face at this point, it's more hopeful. I'd go for both A and B here, but since you give this possibility as a direct example of a suspenseful ending, I'm going to have to go for yet another A here. (laughs) So Mark continues his unbroken streak of A's six in a row, and... He emerges as the only person so far who has disagreed with everyone else on C and said A. And, and I and I agree with him. Like the only way – the only reason he disagrees with us is he disagrees on the split location. Uh, I agree right, that right, if it right. is in fact – if he's right about where that split location is, I agree that would be the suspenseful ending. Um, Last Alliance, for what it's worth, says uh, C based on his treatment of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It may even be a direct nod to Lord of the Rings in that the shadowy lonely mountain will appear in the distance much as Aura Druin did at the end of Fellowship mm-hmm. of the Ring. That 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 uh, that's actually um uh one of the endings as Merrick um read in the explanation that's one of the endings that we directly referenced in our brainstorming as well. That ending where we're looking Frodo and Sam are on the 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 cliff peering out and seeing Aura Druin and, and Mordor in the in the distance. Now uh we actually took that as a hopeful ending because it's Frodo and Sam together, but it it is somewhat ominous, and there is some foreboding there. And I think if they did what Last Alliance is referring to here with uh, just kind of a shadowy mountain sort of, you know, lonely mountain thing, especially if they do the little zoom-in dragon thing, dragonfire thing, I think that's definitely true. So Last Alliance is pretty much on the same page as everyone else. Uncontroversially, everyone except Mark Fisher chose C, including me. Including you and Corey? Including Corey, Arwen, Father Roderick. Uh, the casual stroll folks, Hannah, Lily, and Elorial, everyone picks C except Mark. <laughs> um, and I don't know, uh, in our in our listener feedback... Well, um, we didn't get any comments about the actual question itself so much, I don't mm-hmm. think. Well, maybe a couple, but um, Bray, is I don't know if that's Brianna or not, but Bray uh, talks about the split, and I thought that was kind of interesting. She says, I think the first film will and should be very Bilbo-centric just as the first half of the book is before it shifts into a more political story. Therefore, it would make sense to end the first part at an important character moment for Bilbo. This moment would have to uh, offer resolution for Bilbo's journey in the first half, which is him coming into his own. So she thinks that the moment would be then have to be when Bilbo takes on the spiders. And, of course, this is before we've seen a whole lot of stuff from Jackson. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can see her 
point. Uh, splitting Mirkwood between the two films also means that Bilbo's extended stay in the King's Halls can transpire during the gap, which is a way of explaining that. Having stuff happen between cuts is one of the oldest tricks in the book and would work well here. Um, then the second film can start with a fast-paced sequence. Now, um, I agreed with this until we saw the footage of the barrels. You know, I was mm-hmm. thinking that, that having the having the troll of uh, the trolls See, you can tell what we just did. Having the dwarves captured with an, oh, my gosh, what now thing, I always thought would be the way to end it. Now, I wasn't really thinking so much about the time passing because that's an easy thing to do. You know, I mean, you don't have to necessarily have Bilbo be there for a month or two. You know, it could have it be a day. But still, you know, I was thinking that would be right. But then, you know, when I saw the footage (laughs) – um, and, you know, we all started to talk about that in terms of the barrels. I kind of had to rethink. It doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't. I mean, I came up with I still made me think in terms of what the answer to the question would be. But um, but, you know, I, I mean, I have to agree with her. I think, you know, if 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 somebody came up, if you would ask me before I saw any of the footage, where would be this? Where do you think the split would be? I think I would have agreed with that. You know, the the Elven King Hall's thing. Yeah. Um that is a good point. Uh, I, I sort of I agree. I agree. I agree largely that, in my opinion, the two candidate spots for a split are are the their capture and their time mm-hmm. in the Elven King's dungeons, or mm-hmm. or the 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 floating down the river. And the time thing is actually a really good point. Now, this must be Brianna because she's talking like a film student. Um, and that's why I think the, 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 their capture and also the, uh, the escape are actually very good points, both because there's, there's transitions sort of from, Mm -hmm. from danger to safety or safety to danger. And also, you know, from one place to another. And also because there's, there's this time issue. Like it's, it's really nice if we don't actually have to watch them float down the river on screen. It's also nice. (laughs) It's nice if we don't have to watch them languish in prison. Um, I think that ultimately between the two, let's so let's set aside what we've seen in the whole. Anything we've seen must be in the first film. Therefore, it can't it can't be in Mirkwood. Let's let's ignore that for now and just okay. debate the merits. Let's pretend of these. we don't know that, right? Yeah, let's just debate the merits of these two splits. I'm sort of of the opinion that I really think that, in my opinion, the most useful. The most useful guide for thinking about this to me is actually where did they split the Harry Potter film, the seventh Harry Potter film. Right. And ultimately what they elected to do was split it about two-thirds of the way through. And the uh-huh. reason for that was was almost entirely time and, and, and basically they were like, we want to dedicate a good 45 minutes to an hour to the Battle of Hogwarts. Right. Um, and and – uh, and, so that we can really delve – so it's not just like this you know, high-level view of the battle for like 10 right. minutes and then it's over. But we can really get to the personal side. We can show people, you know, individuals battling, individuals being killed, and the sort of the suffering and tragedy of it all. And I'm thinking that the same will be here too for Battle Five Armies, that that's, that's getting at least 45 minutes to an hour. And right. when you factor in everything else, like – after the battle, like uh, all of the stuff that has to happen, including Bilbo and Thorin's reunion, um, seeing Dale repaired, Bilbo traveling back, some of the kinds of, you know, things that they'll have to drop in at the end to hint at the uh, the, the the continuing story, like, you know, images of Sauron and Mordor, the Nazgul, the Ring, Gollum, all that kind of stuff. 
and also you consider all the con all the other content uh, all the other story that you have to fill in in the second film which is probably mm-hmm. wrapping up the wrapping up the white council storyline mm-hmm. gandalf showing up um, their time in Lake Town and all the politics that they have to get into there with with mm-hmm. the the master of Lake Town and, and Bard, um, and then the dwarves traveling up the mountain. Bilbo sneaking in. They got to give ample time to the confrontation between Bilbo and Smaug. Right. That right. Martin. That awesome Martin Freeman Benedict Cumberbatch exchange. Oh yeah. I mean, I, oh, I personally yeah. think that the major time sinks in this film are going to be the battle. And the Smaug Bilbo scene. I Bilbo think that. Yeah. I bet yeah. that's. I, I'm willing to say that's an hour and a half total yeah, already. Yeah. yeah. Just so, those two things. Yeah. Yeah. So I really think that. Um. I really think that like. I just. I just think that from that standpoint, you've got to shove as much content into the first film as possible. That's why I no, actually that's think. True. I think nearly all. I actually personally believe that the uh, the White Council storyline is is almost entirely in the first film. I think the battle at Dol Guldur is over by the end of the first film. Oh, really? Oh, yes. interesting. I hadn't really thought of that. Just because I, my worry my worry with that is that you if you leave that in the second film, it potentially overshadows the uh, right. the confrontation at the end of the second film. Uh, and also structurally, from the in terms of the actual Hobbit book chronology. Um, <clears throat> the if you read it through, Gandalf explicitly says that he was done with his his business right by the time that Bilbo was escaping from the elves and heading to that's Lake right, Town. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's so, right. So I really think I think yeah. in order to accommodate all of the the things they'll want to do in the second film, I think you've got to push that split as late as you can. And so the ideal place would be somewhere along the barrel ride. Is is kind of my my take on well, it. Well, you're. That's very compelling. I, I think that's true. And I and actually now I will add what I said to remind me to add because I think it fits in here. Mm-hmm. If you think about the barrel as the splits, that does act that is actually a transition point between two completely different um atmospheres in the movie. Yep. Okay. First half, it's not even so much the interpersonal stuff, it's like there's a lot of magic, the elves, mm-hmm. um, you know. Uh, Gandalf doing a lot of magic. The second movie is, like you said, it's much. There's politics, strategy, battle. It's a different. It's different. It's a different. The story takes a different turn. A different kind of. It takes on a different aura, if you will. Yep. Um. So you're right. You know, and that's kind of what I got to thinking about when I actually when I was thinking about the production. You know, when I knew that it looked like okay, it looks like the barrels are in movie one, and I got to thinking about it. I thought, well, actually, that is because that makes the aura. The atmosphere, the tenor, if you will, of movie one, is going to be very different, and that'll be the that'll be the point where it mm-hmm. changes, and we, you know when they arrive at Lake Town or when they're in the barrel. So that coupled with what you just said, you're absolutely, you know, I hadn't really thought. Here's me, you know, oh, timing, timing, timing. But you're right. I mean, I think there is a lot to that second half in the second movie. The battle's going to take up a lot of space, and I think you're right about the smog Bilbo thing too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that makes sense. That makes well, sense. That, that's why I say to me the most useful guide for thinking about this was was Harry Potter seven and, and how they did that split. And what they always said was like they're making two different movies. Movie right. one was a road movie, movie right. a journey movie. Road, Boy, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> movie two was was the battle movie, and I, right. I I'm right. like that that fits perfectly here. It does. Yeah, movie one right, is how did the dwarves get to the Lonely Mountain? Movie two is what do they do since they got there? Right. 
Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, that whole thing, all that stuff in Lake Town and the uh, political stuff and the nuances mm-hmm. and the subterfuge and all that stuff. I mean, that's going to be a completely different kind of story. Yeah, no, that's true. That's, yep. that's absolutely right. So, yeah. so I, I just think when you add to that also the, the external evidence about the photos and all that kind of stuff, it, it just seems like, you know, like what, when I struggle is when I look in the external evidence, like photos and stuff, point one direction, and me thinking through what would make sense on screen points in another. Here, I think right. they align, and so I just I don't see any other possible location for the split, really. Now, um, if we move forward and say, okay, we accept the fact that the split's going to be the barrels. Yeah, um, at least I, the barrels. There's also sort of this this sub question of you know is that when they first started when they arrive in Lake Town, I think I both think. They'll make it to Lake Town by the end of the movie. Then the question comes back to the question that you and Corey actually posed, which uh-huh. is now you've almost got this deal of between B and C. You know, are you going to end it there in Lake Town and being feted and everybody sings and music and oh my gosh, this is great. Mm-hmm. You know, welcome Thorin. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Or do you have the foreboding thing? Yep. And yeah. um, I, I actually uh, on the the Lake Town note, one one I sort of originally thought that they wouldn't make it to Lake Town. That they, we would, our last mm-hmm. shot would be them floating down the river, and maybe we would see them in the river, and they've been in the river a while, and they would zoom out, and hey, they're actually at Lake Town, but we don't actually see them hitting the the uh, right. grabbing the barrels, and we zoom out, and then we see them move the mountain, and then we zoom in on the mountain. But uh, we just found out this week, um, and I'm giving you extra information for your prediction. Yeah. Though I still don't think this wouldn't change my answer, but uh, their Middle Earth News just did an interview um, with this kid, this child actor named John Bell from the UK, who is cast oh, I read it. Yeah. as Bard's yeah. son. Right. And he, if you look him up on IMDb, he's listed under the credits for the first film. Really? Yes. Now, what that means exactly, you can take it however you want. As Father Roderick pointed out, like you know, it maybe doesn't mean anything, but. You could interpret it to mean that he's in the first film. Which is he listed was, in the second film too? Is it yes. does IMDb list? Okay, so he's, he's listed, listed in both. both films. So you could right. interpret that to mean that he is going to show up in the first film, which would seem to suggest that they're going to make it to Lake Town. Right. Maybe in fact the last shot, one of the last shots, could be the barrels floating up against the beach, and there's a little kid standing there saying, hey, what's that? Or the dwarves getting out, <laughs> and the kid the kid seeing the dwarves and running off right. to tell someone. Uh, so to me, I, I think it's maybe relatively weak evidence, but along with all the other evidence, it is additional evidence that, that, that we're going to make it at least as far as the barrels, even up to the lake town. Well, now I got to tell you that that actually just supports my feeling about how the split will be. I mean, this kind of goes a little bit beyond the question, but um, uh-huh. uh, I actually do think that they will make it to Lake Town, and there will be some interactions. And I think that initially there will be sort of a hopeful thing because in the book, mm-hmm. when they arrive there and the Lake Town people realize that he's Thorin and what they're actually up against, you know, what they're there for, and all that kind of stuff, everybody they have a party. I mean, they sing, they dance, they're celebrating. Thorin's back, you know, and this, you know, life's going to be good again, kind of a thing. And I could see that happening at the end of movie one. I could see them doing this kind of uptick of, you know, celebration. I'm now going to probably foreshadow my answer because I think the next scene then would be just what you said, out to the mountain, 
through the tunnel and we see the, you know, dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's actually how they'll end the movie. But I think they'll make it to Lake Town and have a celebration. Because to me, emotionally, that would make sense in the sense of, oh, everybody's happy. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. Look, what's that? You know, the mountain. Oh, something bad's going to happen in the next movie. Um, so that's kind of how I think. So, so actually having him be credited in that, having the kid be in both movies, I mean, makes sense given how I'm thinking it's going to be. Yep. Yep. So I guess that gives you my answer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, basically. And I, and I actually agree. So that, you're, so you're saying, just for clarification, you're saying C, right? I'm a C. Yeah, I'm a C. I, I definitely think in the foreboding. I, I just think that's, um, I just think that makes sense to me the way that, that that's what, you know, we, they'd want us to leave the theater with, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree, actually, I also definitely had a mental image when Father Roderick was talking about his view of, I actually went one step further. I said, you know, I said, I'm with Father Roderick, a scene of celebration with the camera, then panning up to the Lonely Mountain and through dark tunnels to the horde room. Corny ending might be camera zooming on Sleeping Dragon, doing a close up on one eye, which pops open just before the credits roll. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. You I think that still Howard qualifies Shore. as C. I think that still, still qualifies as C, but it's still Absolutely. it's the cornier version of foreboding. It's the cornier version of C. It's double C. Yeah. <laughs> it's corny C. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, so let me get you on record for our for our, uh, our our additional question that I'm adding for this episode, which is, will they make it to Lake Town? Ah, okay, that's going to be a snow question. Will they make it to Lake Town? Well, I think I already said what I think. Yeah, you said yes. Which is yes. How about you? What do you I, think? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say yes. I think I'm I think I'm cheating a little bit here, but no more than anybody else, because uh, they all will get to answer this later. I think at the time I answered C, I might have said no, but at this point I'm saying yes. <laughs> well, yes, to, they'll make it to Lake Town. Yeah, you've let you've let me change and people change. Yeah, yeah. So now, what made you change your mind then? Oh, just. Thinking it through, the fact that the the little kid basically said the kid's pushing me over the edge. It's like uh, you know, I think they'll they'll go all the way. And plus, what you just got through saying about how they need to uh, conserve time for the second film for those really big scenes. Well, I I think that I think that at the time we were discussing this, I was leaving it at the split will be somewhere during the barrel ride, and I didn't really commit myself to any answer because I felt that the way I foresaw the film ending. Was kind of whether they made it to Lake Town or not was was irrelevant right. because I was sure that the last shot was going to be of the dragon uh, or or oh, got it, got it. into the dragon. So I was like, ah, I don't care where they make it, um, but it's possible that at the time I might have thought like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think they'll still be floating in the river and we'll see Lake Town. But with the little kid, now I'm thinking it'd be kind of fun if they kind of bump up against the beach and 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 a door like Thorn Oak and Shield stumbles out of his barrel and there's a little kid who sees him. And he tells the kid, "I'm the I'm the king under the mountain." Tell them, and the kid goes running into Lake Town, shouting, "They're here! They're here!" And then we zoom out. Well, so, and you know, I just uh, I just probably disproved my own thing about the the celebration because I just checked Stephen Fry on IMDb, and he is not listed. He does not have credit for the first movie. Ooh, interesting. And he plays Master of Lake Town, and he's only credited in the second movie on IMDb. That is interesting. So, so what that tells me is that Father Roderick and I had wondered. If John Bell's crediting in the first film, um, uh, maybe you know, maybe they're just listing him there, and then oh right, just general, there. yeah. And it still yeah, yeah. it still doesn't mean he's in it. It could well be that he shot scenes for it and then will be cut. So yeah. that's possible. But 
Uh, yeah, if, 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 if we start looking through the other Lake Town people, which, which I'm doing now, I'm going to go look up, um, um, uh, shoot, what is the name of the guy that plays Bard? And, oh, this is, a, there's some very interesting things in here. Oh, well, actually, Theron back again. Elijah Wood is even listed in Theron back again. We're kind of getting off, off, or I am getting off, off topic here, but... <laughs> Uh, I'm all right with it because I feel like we're we're unearthing potentially interesting. Um, uh, well, it's interesting. interesting. I mean, Elijah Wood, Kate Blanchett, Hugo Weaving. I mean, th- all those they're they're all credited in the second movie. Which so I find so Luke Evans, the Bard, Bard the Bowman, is listed under the first film. So we have Bard and Bane, his son, are going oh, to be interesting. are, are okay. on the credits. Okay. Looking through here, all the rest of them are. Dwarves, elves, right. Um, and interestingly enough, Bard and Bane are both listed on both movies, mm-hmm. but Stephen Fry, Master of Lake Town, is not. He's exactly. only listed in the second movie. Exactly. So that tells me they're not yeah. just they're not they're not uh, doing extraneous uh, credit listing. Right. So interesting. So uh, let's see. No Stephen. Oh, Fry. this is interesting. We're doing some really fun things here. Um, I have another interesting piece of information. Legolas is not credited in the second movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh? Boy, that's weird. Um, <laughs> that's really strange. And I just noticed Alfred, who is the master of Lake town's, um, uh, servant. Right. Listed in the credits for the first film. Oh, wow. Yep. Maybe Net- he goes running off to... Here you go. Netmender, which which I would... Ah, okay. Nets. Fishing nets. But we didn't actually... We talked about that off, off fair. <laughs> I'm... Boy, I tell you, this really makes me feel like our last shot's going to be them floating up to the uh, lake town. To the pier, and, yeah. And yeah. we're not going to quite make it in. We won't yeah. make it far enough to meet the master, yeah. but we are right. going to meet Brand and Bane, right. or Bard and Bane and, Bane and, and Bane. Netmender. <laughs> and and ha- his assistants. Or- yeah, and very, yeah. various various lake town denizens are going to see the dwarves or meet the dwarves. So that kind of blows my idea of the of the celebration happening. Although uh... my answer still still stands in the sense of you know, I think we're still going to get the foreboding of the mountain, but yeah, um, I don't know if it, I don't know exactly it does. I mean, they, what it could be is what the last shot could be them being paraded into the town with a celebration. They just don't quite oh, make true. it to the yeah. to the to their to meeting the, with the master of Lake Town. That's yeah, huh? This is interesting. I need, to, I need to spend a little more time staring at these casting <laughs> lists and trying to figure out what it means. <laughs> well, now you've got a new, you know, some new topics to bring up to Corey and Father Roderick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I'm telling you right now, Father Roderick. When I share this information, this, these observations we've made with him, he's going to want to sit down and go through these and puzzle oh, out what yeah. they mean. Definitely. Because I, I do. I really do. The fact that Stephen Fry is not in the first film, uh, but but Bane is, Bard is, uh, yeah. Alfred is. I don't think that's yeah, just spurious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's no, spurious. I, don't think it's spurious. I, think I think that it's... means we're seeing some of Lake Town, but not all of it. Right. May not be a big scene. May not be super long. Yep. I mean, we have a ribbon court elf, for heaven's sake, uncredited. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and Fredegar Chubb, uncredited. <laughs> I don't know like, what to make of that. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be a Hobbit in the beginning of the movie, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Yep, it'll just be some pal of Bilbo's yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, in- 
Okay. Oh, wait a minute. What's this Nathaniel Lee, the necromancer? I thought Benedict Cumberbatch was the necromancer. Um, Nathaniel Lee's the necromancer voice. Really? Interesting. Yeah, that's what it says on, on IMDb for the first movie. Interesting. Huh. Interesting. Do I see Benedict Cumberbatch? Now, in on the second movie, he's listed – Benedict Cumberbatch is listed as Smaug and Necromancer on the second movie. Boy, that's weird. But I don't see Benedict Cumberbatch listed here in the first movie, but I do see this guy Nathaniel Lee's listed as the Necromancer voice. Oh, gosh. You know what that – I mean now we're really off topic. But that to me means we're going to get like a live-action Necromancer in the second movie. Yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> Jeez. Boy, oh, now, okay, now there's another There's another episode to do, Father Roderick. <laughs> wow, what, is, what the heck is that? Boy, I'm really, I'm really confused now. Boy, I tell you. Anyway. Boy, I need to really spend more time staring at these cast lists. Yeah, and listeners, believe, go look at IMDb and, like, list, come back onto the Mythgard site and talk to us about this yeah, stuff. Yeah, tell us what, what, all, what you think all of this means. Uh, yeah. And, and I recommend... I, you know, it could be that we haven't actually noticed anything that was really, really, really revealing. It could be that if you go over to um, to Middle Earth News or to the One Ring dot net and look at their Hobbit casting sections, sure. that they've already puzzled all those out. So that, that's what I was thinking. Surely somebody's yeah, that'd be the other this. place to to look. Yeah. Um, See. Interesting, but I think that's really interesting because I mean, especially given what you just said, which is that you know you don't think it's it's spurious, you know that that, that they are really are listing yeah. who's actually in those movies, and we don't have Stephen Fry in the yeah. first one, but we have now, the second one. I I will I will add the caveat that I think IMDb is known to be uh, unreliable. Oh, okay, so I th- I think that's probably that's a fair. Uh, that's a so fair sort of like thing Wikipedia, to... right? We want to kind of take it with a grain of salt. Yes, yes. But I think it's still it's still interesting. Now, what's interesting is on the on the OneRing.net's casting page, they don't have the Necromancer oh. listed at all. Interesting. Which would seem to suggest that, as far as they're concerned, it's it's maybe so uncertain that it's not worth um, uh, putting anything down yet. So it's interesting hmm. when you when you click on Necromancer and IMDb, it goes to Sauron. <laughs> uh. That's hilarious. Spoiler, come on, IMDb. I know, I know. And then they have Hobbit there and back again, played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, played by Nathaniel Lees. Interesting. Huh. So, I mean, my thinking about it is with the Nathaniel Lees, I'm, I'm betcha, I betcha that it's um, um, Wait a second, I'm just switching over to here. Uh, I wanted, wanted to see here. Um, that it's, if it's a voice, then it's it's going to be more like it was in Lord of the Rings, where it's this voice. I mean, Corey does a great Sauron voice. Yeah, you know, you know, like that's all we're going to see in the first movie. Yeah, I think that, so, I, I, yeah, it's, from- it's going to be it's going to essentially be an unrecognizable voice. The same Nathaniel Lee was in the Lord of the Rings Two Towers. He played Ugluk, so he played Urukai, uh, I guess. Oh, that's hilarious. He's a Samoan. He's a guy. It says he's a Samoan uh, – actor of Samoan descent. Nathaniel Lewis was born in New Zealand and has succeeded impressively as both an actor and theater director. So, yeah. So, anyway. Interesting. Huh. The Middle Earth News' Hobbit casting site, they do have Benedict Cumberbatch down playing um, uh, playing both the Necromancer voice, a.k.a. Sauron, and Smog the Magnificent voice, the dragon – they do not have Nathaniel Lee's down. So, 
Now, I know when I read a thing by Benedict Cumberbatch, I know as far as Smaug is concerned anyway, that they do do the, like the, you know, the live action like they do with Gollum. Mm-hmm. In other words, they put the little balls, you know, put him in the little unitard and put the little balls on him and stuff yes. and had him move around. Um, he didn't say anything about that with the necromancer, I don't think. Oh, hey, Nathaniel Lees. He is, he was in The Matrix. Oh, really? The Ma- He was in uh, Matrix uh, Matrix Rebooted and Matrix Revolutions. He played... Um, oh, okay. Matrix Reloaded, it shows here too. Yeah, he plays Captain Mifuni. He's like the uh, the like guy that opposes um, oh, okay. um, Morpheus. And let's see. And he's right. he's a New Zealander. Hmm, that seems... Right, okay. right. That seems very right. compelling. The fact that he's been in Lord of the Rings before and he's a New Zealander yeah. would seem to suggest yeah. that they would be likely to put well, him Well, he's been in Matrix. He knows Hugo Weaving, too, so there you yeah. go. He's got connections, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. Well, he's not – nothing about this is listed in um, – Interesting. Nothing is nothing is listed about him in uh, in on his Wikipedia page, and when I look up Nathaniel Lee's under Google News, I'm not seeing any articles about this. So huh. this could just be some rumor – or maybe Nathaniel Lee's agent updated his IMDb page and nobody's noticed yet. Interesting, right. interesting, interesting. Hmm. Hmm, 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 hmm. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, that is interesting. It's, 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 the sleuthing is fun. Plus, this is great. It's, we're not only doing a digest. We're actually bringing up new stuff. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm starting to think maybe, uh, maybe we should uh, – We'll have to investigate this more, but I'm I'm starting to see a question about um, uh, okay, the necromancer is in the first movie. Um, what what will who will be playing him? Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah, or, Nathaniel Lees, or someone else? Or the other one is you know we've got this guy listed in IMDb just the voice of the necromancer for the first one. We have mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch listed as the necromancer in the second one. Is there going to be is the necromancer actually going to be a live action? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that kind of gets into the shape of Sauron and stuff, but still, I mean, it kind of makes you think that maybe we're actually going to see something yeah. of, you know, some kind of body or something. Yes. Hmm. Boy, that's in the interesting. Second but, you know, in the second movie, and then it gets back to what you were just talking about in terms of, you know, having the whole White Council dog Uldur thing be done by the end of the first movie, you know, if, I don't know. Now my my brain is starting to sprain. <laughs> it's like, the it, the... the it's the um, the question of the necromancer is a troublesome question as far as I'm concerned with regard to the movies. I think. Oh, really? Why is that? Well, I just you know, I mean, in the book, he's he, I mean, he's you know, kind of he's such a side figure in the book. But I mean, I just feel like with you know, especially not knowing about the fact that the Nazgul get you know introduced in the Hobbit now in the movie, and the fact that it seems that Peter Jackson wants to connect the two you know fairly closely. And the fact that the, that Benedict Cumberbatch's um, uh, casting as a necromancer has been made such a big deal of in the media that it sounds to me like you know Sauron's going to have a bigger role. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, the, the, I agree with that. I, I see what you're driving at, um, and that that that's actually that is why I really think that most of the White Council storyline will be pushed into the first film. The first film. In yeah. in order to not in order because I think inevitably. Um, if you have too much of him in the second film, people are going to be like, who cares about the dragon? That guy's Sauron. Right. So. Right. 
Well, I mean, but the thing is, the one thing that it's been in the back of my mind is Sauron could actually have something to do with the Battle of Five Armies. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and this is part of my Nazgul conversation, which we get into another digest, but, you know, the witch king could be there or something. I don't know. It gets in, that's why it starts to sprain my brain, because if Sauron has something to do with the Battle of Five Armies, then it's like, well, Bilbo's there with the ring. Why wouldn't he sense the ring? You know what I mean? Yes. You get into all this other stuff. Yes. I, 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 I stand firmly <laughs> against any presence of, of forces um, of Mordor at the Battle of Five Armies. Of any forces of Mordor. Yeah, I mean, it's just too... As I think about it, it's like you can't... That That's too glaring a problem to have them be there and not and not sense the ring. Although I have to say there's a scene in, in I think it was Return of the King, when um, Frodo and Sam are with Faramir at the ruins of... What's the name of the... Ithilien, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And the one of the Nazgul shows up in a flying beast, and he literally like hovers up like a, like a hovering helicopter, you know, and faces... Frodo almost face to face and I'm sitting in the movie theater going how could he do that and not since the ring is there yep so Jackson has been known to do weird things like that (laughs) yep yep I agree anyway all right well we still have episode seven to talk about yes (laughs) let's get let's get on to it although this has been fun and we will revisit this topic um, and I'm hoping, I do hope that you and I talking about this and going off in all these different directions are 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 uh, 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 get you know motivating our listeners to jump onto the site and put your own comments in or on yes, Facebook and or whatever dig you up, do. Dig up the information for us. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so uh, episode seven, which was which was sort of a, the second of a two parter, and this was the one where we had Father Roderick on as a guest. Right. Was um, was where we addressed uh, some of the White Council storyline, and the reason why we paired this with this is we actually thought this really uh, strongly bared on where the split would be. Um, we were we were we were really curious about not just where the split would be with respect to the main Hobbit storyline, but also how are they going to distribute the White Council storyline across the films. Now, ultimately, the prediction question is not about that, but rather about how they will how the story will be portrayed. Uh, but I think that that bears because I think if, if, if it is played up as a huge battle, I think it has to be in the first film because Mm -hmm. I I just think Mm -hmm. two battles in the second film, um, Mm -hmm. with, 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 you know, main threats like the necromancer and the dragon and then the army of the, the orcs is, is ridiculous unless, unless they do the unthinkable and put the necromancer at the battle of five armies. I think that would be awful, but I don't. Th- I think the evidence is they won't do that. I think the evidence is that they have parallel storylines. They've referred to it if as they the White do that, Council. That's just going to be yeah. yeah. Um, uh, on the other hand, right. I think that right. if right. they you, if they take if they take one of the other options that we use, which is uh, to make it less of a huge battle and more of something else, there's more of the potential to to put some of it in the second film. So the question here that, that you know the the main topic is how what's the deal with the white council storyline and and the the context is wondering about how they'll distribute it across the two films the question specifically is how will the confrontation between the white council and the necromancer at dull gold or be portrayed on screen we know that there is a confrontation that the white council actually you know um sort of right at the same time the dwarves are making their way through mirkwood uh, the White Council is actually busy driving Sauron from Dol Guldur. We also know from from things we learn in the Lord of the Rings later that actually they, although they seemingly win this confrontation, it's actually a feint. Sauron pretends to flee, but actually, you know, uh, fully intended to abandon Dol Guldur and to return to his stronghold in Mordor. So this gives us a variety of options here. Um, uh, 
so we have four choices, A through D. Uh, choice A, which seems highly unlikely to me, but also potentially the most true to 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 the way things might have worked in Middle Earth in Tolkien's imagination, is an immaterial spiritual conflict conflict from a distance. <laughs> You know, basically this idea that, that we don't see swords and sorcery in Tolkien, even though he mm-hmm. is the progenitor mm-hmm. of, of that genre, that that's not actually what he's doing. And so that, that if there is sort of a magical, if this isn't a, a meeting of, of armies, and everything that we see in the story, in the Lord of the Rings, um, and in the apocryphal material, seems to suggest that this was not a clash of armies, but was instead kind of just more of a, a, a magical power conflict of power between the White Council and Sauron. The, they, they talk about it as the White Council putting forth its strength to drive Sauron. Seems to suggest sort of a magical conflict, but magic in Tolkien is is more sort of ethereal and subtle. So we sort of imagine this as a contest of, of wills or spirits at a distance. So they never actually physically or even um, um, geographically meet, but rather there's this kind of immaterial spiritual conflict and then the necromancer flees. Right. Probably not going to do that in the movie, but we had to add, we had to include that as the Mark Fisher answer. B is the, <laughs> um, B is a, a epic battle of Helm's Deep style battle between two large armies. Um, that's pretty self-explanatory. There'll be a, a force of elves, maybe men, uh, battling a force of orcs and other creatures at Dol Guldur. Option C is what we're calling the Avengers style small band of superheroes versus evil hordes battle. <laughs> So basically, this is like Gandalf and Saruman and Galadriel and Elrond, maybe, and people, you know, a few other super elves, uh, maybe Legolas and a few folks like that, um, fighting against uh, hordes of orcs uh, led by, you know, the necromancer. And basically, if you've watched the Avengers, it would happen like that. You've got about a core group of about, you know, five to ten people who are all super powerful beating around the orcs and trying to uh, overcome the, the numbers game. Option D is no conflict at all. The heroes will arrive to find the necromancer has already fled. This is kind of another another way to execute what really happens, you know, th- this fact that right. the necromancer never really contests Dol Goldor. And one way to do it on screen that's, that works better maybe than the immaterial spiritual conflict is to have it be sort of more like the – have it be kind of a – uh, a logistical conflict. In other words, the uh, the 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 necromancer's hold on Dol Guldur is not particularly strong. He doesn't have huge armies. The White Council raises a large army and marches on Dol Guldur, and the necromancer's like, "All right, I'm out of here." And so when they show up, he's gone. So so kind of anticlimactic. You know, they build up this conflict with the necromancer, but it turns out that it, it you know it peters out and he disappears and he's gone. So um, I I, th- I I don't think that one's entirely impossible. I, I think that could actually happen. I could see it. Right, right. Um, yeah, me too. I think that I think some viewers would be disappointed by that, but uh, but I think it could happen. And in fact, that's what I picked. You picked D, did you? I did. I, I actually I actually said I think that um, that that this necromancer threat will end up being that 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 in some sense. Um, both films, even though the films are two parts of the same story, uh, that in some sense they are, they are each separately a prequel for the other films. The, um, and actually, you know, actually, you know what you could argue is that the first film is the real prequel for the, 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 um, the films in the sense that 
it That's sets true. up Bilbo finds the ring and that sets mm-hmm. that in motion mm-hmm. uh and then we we build up the necromancer and then they drive him out of Dol drive him out of right. Dol Guldur and he ends up in Mordor and sets himself up as Sauron the Great and uh and and really the events of the second film are really more kind of um you know aren't they are directly related but they're not they're less prequel material for uh for right. the films that the really important right. events the finding of the ring and the driving of Sauron you know the Sauron arriving in Mordor and revealing himself all of that will happen during the course of the first film really so that's kind of what D's right. getting at and uh and ultimately that's what I picked so uh any right. any any initial thoughts or clarifications before we get into? Um, I don't think so. Um, one thing I would say to what you just said is, um, uh, I'm not disagreeing with what you just said. I think that is true. You know, the thing about the first movie being the prequel. But I do notice again back to IMDb <laughs> mm-hmm. that our our white cancel buddies are all credited in the second movie as well, which to me would probably mean something as simple as just as part of the sort of epilogue post battle of five armies you know maybe uh maybe bilbo meets him again on his way back through rivendell or something like that that is a good point elrond's in it galadriel's in it is yep. saruman in it saruman's in it yep saruman's in it i just mm. checked yeah yeah interesting yeah. and there's this guy but, named galleon yeah. well and frodo's in it Frodo's listed in the second movie. Well, I, I, I'm Frank, guessing yeah, that's, I guess that's them returning Frank, to the frame story, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, Galleon is the butler for the Elven King. Okay, never mind. So they, he's not. I'm just trying to figure out who other, what other sort of... The, Gollum the, is in the second movie. Oh, really? Yeah. I just noticed. We'll have to save that for another time. Ooh. Old, old Bilbo is in the second movie. Yeah. Home. So that's frame story, right? That's for frame story. Yeah, so Gollum's right. in the second movie. Hmm, that's interesting. So uh, interesting. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Anyway, but you know, so what I was going to, what, but that would make sense to me that the White Council, because especially given what you just said, which is that if the White Council main storyline concludes in the first movie, how would he connect the first and second movies? You know, and on into Lord of the Rings would be to bring the White Council back in in some way in the second movie, mm-hmm. which I would think would probably be in Rivendell. You know, where everybody's patting Bilbo on the back and saying "good job" and blah 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 right. you know, that kind of. Yep. And then maybe they have a conversation about you know, oh, there's rumblings in Mordor, you know, or something like that as yeah. a as a foreboding. Well, and and, I, and you know, I, I'm not going to entirely rule out the possibility that some of the White Council storyline, the confrontation with the the necromancer, could be in the second film, especially if they did Option D. I think Option D could well, totally true. that would work. I I yeah. would worry about having a full scale confrontation like B or C in at the very beginning of just chronologically again, unless. They conflate these battles, which would be horrible. Oh, uh, chronologically, this this battle would have to be at the end of the first film or the beginning of the second film, and just starting with a huge battle and ending with a second battle. One is a lot of time, and two risks risks the possibility that that, that the peripheral story, the White Council storyline, actually will overshadow the main story that you really want to be telling, which is the the orcs, um, the Battle of Five Armies. So, right, interesting, right. right. You know who else? This is interesting. Who else is listed here in the second movie is Elros. Wow. <laughs> what the heck? I don't see his brother listed. I just see him listed. Huh. That's very interesting. 
But it's oh, also it looks if like somebody it might not said, be a real big part or anything. If somebody's putting, if someone puts in here uh, in the biography, which is I don't know who writes these, but the biography says even though the character's name Elros doesn't confirm it will be Elrond's brother. Oh, okay. So. Oh yeah, I know. It, yeah, right. Elros. I mean, gosh. But well, could, maybe it's just another. Maybe there'll be just this random Elrond recounting his backstory <laughs> scene. Oh, that could be. Oh, that could be. It could be. That's interesting. Yeah. Is he in the anyway. is he in the first film? Yeah, he's he's listed in the first film too. Oh, so. he is listed in the first film too. Oh, interesting. Okay, I could, so I could imagine I could imagine Bilbo asking like, "Who does this sword Narsil belong to?" Well, let me tell yeah, you about the yeah, the line of Elros and Elrond. Uh, well, that is interesting because that would be another one of those connect points that yep. Jackson would be trying to make to the yep. to the Lord of the Rings. Yep. Which I, I I'm very I'm very curious to see if there's some if there's a little kid wandering around Rivendell. Um, oh, Estelle. I know! I know you brought that up before. Yes, Estelle, right? Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, you, there's no listing for anybody like that in the movies. No, he could but totally still, be, be. He could totally be uncredited. That that was, yeah. and that's the kind of thing they would want to keep secret. So, absolutely, absolutely. And also, well, that also could be another Easter egg, like we talked about yes. before. You know, where there's little things that those of us in the know. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It's and I think it's the kind of thing they want to do subtly. Because uh, I think it's okay, the kind of thing that so... it's the kind of thing that could distract the um, uh, it could distract the, the the general public. Yeah, yeah, no. But those of us who you know would know what to be looking for could see it and notice it, would, it. Yeah, it'd be like see, it'd be like having Peter. You know how in the movies where Peter Jackson does his little cameos, and then once you knew he was in the movies, you'd be able to find him. But it wouldn't distract from the story. Yep. Okay. So uh, let's do uh, let's do let's let's get into our, our analyst thoughts on this um, and our listeners. So we we have a contribution from Mark Fisher this time. Uh, unfortunately, we have no audio content to play, uh, but we can uh, we'll read Mark Fisher. He says, "I'm finally going to break my run of A's this time, since that's the one answer I feel pretty sure isn't on the table." Given all the possibilities raised by epic magical conflict, I really can't see Peter Jackson opting for the some guys sitting in a room option. <laughs> On top of that, it's pretty clear that everyone involved was physically at Dull Gold during Tolkien's version 2. Interesting. I, 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 I didn't I read it that way. I didn't get that. Yeah, but, I didn't necessarily But I that. generally defer to Mark Fisher. He usually doesn't yeah. make statements like that blithely. If he says yeah. that, he's probably – Probably spot on. Probably true. Yeah, I'd have to go back I don't think there's any real doubt that Sauron had pretty significant forces at Dol Guldur, and so I'm guessing the White Council will have to use at least some conventional forces to deal with them. It's hard to imagine that just a few of the wise would be enough to deal with an, a horde of orcs. If Gandalf can defeat an army almost single-handedly, what's he doing throwing pine cones at orcs? <laughs> okay, good point. Good point. Something, something's not right there. So I think that's a vote in favor of answer B. Having said that, I don't doubt you were right in the podcast episode that the film will want to play up the use of magic somehow. And even if just to build a contrast between these events and the Battle of Five Armies, I'm trying to think, trying not too hard to think about the conflation theory. <laughs> that's almost a vote for answer C, but I think this will be this this will be more focused. For instance, while the battle rages in the background, the wise will be dealing with Sauron's more sorcerous defenses, like the Shroud of Dread Shadow that's mentioned a couple times in the books, maybe even a Nazgul or two. That, the Nazgul thing is – this is something that when we when we initially posed this question, we did not know about the Nazgul. Uh, I oh, think that okay. really turns a lot of this question on its head, that it, yeah. it's hard to believe there being a battle at here – with the Nazgul running around with no Nazgul there. So it, right, right, it's almost right. certain they would be part of the forces. As for option D, I think it's entirely likely we'll find the necromancer already gone. 
the whole idea of the White Council winning the battle, but then finding that they ultimately failed, is one that's going to be tricky to communicate visually. They can hardly show a huge glowing eye flitting away between the trees. (laughs) (laughs) My guess on this would be that Gandalf's first visit to Dol Guldur will establish Sauron within the stronghold, and then in the aftermath of the battle will return to the same place to discover that Sauron had gone. I obviously don't know if it'll work out exactly like that, but I do think we'll see some kind of battle before we see Sauron's escape is revealed. So that's almost a D, but since you specified no conflict at all, I'll have to skip that option. So I'm tempted by all the answers apart from A this time, but given the way you phrase the options, I think I'll have to select B. <laughs> Boy, he really does a thorough job. Kudos I know. Mark Fisher. I, yeah, he, he, he's, he does very impressive. And he, and he, he does bring up some good thoughts that I could have I could have maybe re I could have maybe formulated the answers more carefully to say to 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 have an option where there is some fighting but but you know but but Sauron has already left because it's oh, right it's yeah. actually D is been a- conflict conflict or no conflict the heroes will right yeah, yeah. will find the necromancer always yeah. fled yeah D is actually hard to believe that it's it's kind of hard to imagine now as I think it through in some sense it's hard to imagine them showing up and just there's nobody there like right. Sauron wouldn't do that he would leave some forces to contest uh their Well and as I recall I think I think Gandalf does talk about there being some kind of conflict in the book Mhm yep um now that Mark has mentioned the fact that the other people were there you know and then he that I think that's what it is I actually I think D is actually would normally have been your A you know Mark Mark's aunt, you know Mark's Tennessee to do by the book because I think they I think there was a conflict but then they discovered that necromancer had fled yep so i i actually you know in there's part of me that really does sort of agree that 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 seems kind of hard to imagine i just at at the same time ultimately my major concern is screen time like yeah yeah just to to, you know like to have some battle but give no time to be like i i would rather have them show up and there be no battle than have like well there was a battle but we're not going to show it to you yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I don't um, think they could do that. I think the audience would be very... Oh, and I suppose there's the possibility that there will be... That they'll film a battle and cut most of it out, and then it'll be in the, in the extended edition. It'll actually edition. be the Battle of Dol Guldur, yeah. So. You know, that is the the third year of of Riddle in the Dark uh, podcast will be what's going to be in the extended edition. <laughs> yep. No, that's right. Yep. What, what was left out uh, that might be included. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So okay. Well, do you want to? Oh no, you have Last Alliance too. Have, yeah, let's just do in. Last Alliance really briefly, okay. and then run do a rundown of the votes. Uh, so Last Alliance says we are torn here. All of us desperately want D. However, we feel Jackson will not be able to res- resist a, ba- a battle <laughs> sequence. But leave us with D. Perhaps there is hope yet. <laughs> so interesting. I I persuaded them. Um. So by far the most popular answer here is C. Uh, the Avengers battle, right? Which I, I got to be honest with you, reading through Mark's thing, I now think that's highly unlikely. <laughs> uh, but you, you actually have D, right? You said D. Yes, I picked D. Okay, like, I, I, but Corey said C, and I sort of felt like if there was gonna be a battle, it would be an right. Avengers battle that there wouldn't be a huge army. But, but yeah, Mark, Mark, Mark has me convinced that's a ridiculous notion. So, but C was the most popular answer chosen by Corey, Father Roderick. Right. The Casual Stroll, the Mordor folks, um, uh, Hannah from Houghton Mifflin, uh, Lillian O'Loreal, and Last Alliance. No, 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 no. Uh, nope. Just 
Yeah, so just Casual Stroll, the Mortar Father, Hannah, Lily, and Eloriel, and Corey. B was choking. The only person who chose B was Mark. The only person who chose A was Arwen. Good for you, Arwen. Good for you. And D was uh, the last alliance of myself. So okay, all right, all right. Let's oh, uh, let's. Shall I go on with the? Um, yeah, let's let hear. You know let's what, hear our listeners. Yeah. Let's hear what our, some of our listeners have to say, um, and then let's find out your prediction. Okay, Bray. Bray. I'm saying. I hope I'm saying that right. Bray said D because there isn't going to be D. So he agrees with he or she. She, he agrees with you because there's not going to be time to fit in another battle, mm-hmm. uh, but they somehow have to conclude the thread. So um, so that's where that comes from. And then Greg Gray thinks that there will be a connection between Sauron and Smog working together. So he he thinks that Smog will be an ally of Sauron. He thinks D, based more on how Peter Jackson will want to emphasize the interconnectedness between the White Council plot with the main quest. So so what he, what he means by that is the sudden death of Smog, Sauron's op- – ally on his right flank will force Sauron to rethink his strategy and to bring forward his plan to remove himself to Mordor. During the White Council attack, Sauron will offer a small amount of resistance and then retreat, but not before orchestrating the attack on the Lonely Mountain with the aim of retaining the upper hand in that area by destroying all resistance. So while the Orc and Warg attack to some extent is caused by the quest to stirring up trouble in the Misty Mountains, it's more meta-cause it's more meta causes that of the imbalance of power caused by the unforeseen death of the dragon, which I thought was a really interesting take on this. Yes, I think that's the most that is that is the most thought provoking analysis I've seen to cause me to consider reconsider all of the there there being a direct kind of you know battle at Dol Guldur and it all being in all being shoved into the first film, um, right. Right. Like re- hearing, listening to that now, what I can imagine is a siege at Dol Guldur, and and Sauron, Sauron not going to the Lonely Mountain, but orchestrating the attack, right? And Gandalf departing Dol Guldur, not because they've they've driven they've won the battle and driven the 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 necromancer out, but maybe because he sees that things are well in hand and that he's needed more urgently at the Lonely right. Mountain, and then. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, uh, and so we get glimpses of the siege of Dol Guldur throughout the second film. Then, at the death of Smog, and the loss of the Battle of Five Armies, we we find out finally that that's that's right around the time the tide turned to Dol Guldur. And but it's because Sauron ran away, you know, decided, Left, yeah. yeah, abandoned Dol Guldur because the Smog had died and they'd lost the battle at Lonely Mountain. And the the, the victors at Dol Guldur think they've won quote-unquote, you know, I mean, yeah. kind of like in the book where they think they've driven out the necromancer. Um, but it, but in fact, we as the audience know that it's actually, yep. you know, he's getting set up. So yeah, I mean, I think that's, and, and, you know, Jackson has shown that he's not above making, you know, some pretty significant changes to the storyline within certain boundaries. You know, like, for example, in, in Two Towers, you know, uh, the whole thing about Aragorn going off the cliff and all that stuff, I mean, that wasn't in the book. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, I could understand that when I saw it and I thought about, well, because he took out the the um, the Dunedine showing up, uh, you know, and giving the news of the impending orc attack, you know, that way he needed some other way to do it. And the way to do it was Aragorn got separated and saw the orcs and, and showed up at Helm's Deep. So, you know, I mean, there was a reason for it. So, I mean, I could see Jackson doing this kind of thing and still making it work within sort of the overall story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so that was I thought that was really hmm. interesting. This Good thinking, pretty, Greg. Uh, this is yeah. pretty. That's an interesting idea. I'm, I'm like I, I I certainly think that that to me 
because because I, I Brianna obviously sort of uh, you know uh, concurs with my thinking that there just isn't enough time for two right. large scale battles, but this to me seems like the most plausible way to have it to not do D. You know, extend can, right where it could go back and forth like you yeah. said like a siege where it's like we keep kind of cutting back to Dol- meantime yep. at Dol Guldur yep they're still you know, having yeah. surrounded yeah which and, and we can continue to see Sauron as as involved in the main storyline but not showing up at the battle to lead the the invasion right. and and ridiculous stuff but which more... again brings me to think maybe the Nazgul have something to do with that where they're his if he is involved in the Battle of Five Armies in some way, yeah. if he's if he's motivating the orcs or whatever, you know, that the Nazgul might have something to do with it. Of course then we get back into the ring issue yes, again. That that I think is the biggest problem with this. If he is yeah. if he hasn't fled to Mordor like if he flees to Mordor at the, the you know, chronologically the time that he does in the books then you know, like they've made it the the way it's recounted in the at the Council of Elrond is that he sends them ahead to prepare the way at Mordor, um, and this is something when we do the when we do the Nazgul episode, uh, not 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 next because we're going to skip it, but uh, we're going to wait. Yeah, yeah, that this is something that came up as we were discussing the Nazgul that like, you know, technically where are the Nazgul during this time in the books? They're in Mordor. Every single one of them are in Mordor. They're preparing his his seat of right. power there. Uh, right. The fact that they're introducing them into the storyline here means that that's obviously not going to be the case in this film. Right. Like, that it would be really stupid to have that be a major plot point in the first film. Hey, the Nazgul are awake. <laughs> they emerged from their tomb. But they're off. They they they're scaffolding yeah. over. Don't yeah. Don't worry about them. They've they've all inexplicably disappeared toward the southeast for some reason. I don't know where they went. Yeah. So it seems like they'll be involved. Yeah. So we, the, you know that's it's like how are they going to be involved? Yeah. The right. major. So as you say, the major problem I see with with Greg's ideas, the Nazgul, if they're not completely busy doing something, uh, and if Sauron is still at Dol Guldur in power, and if he is involved in the events at Lonely Mountain, how can they not be there? How can there not right, be at least exactly. one yeah. Nazgul representative? And if there is Nazgul there or Sauron at the Battle of Five Armies with Bilbo in the ring, how do they not know? How do they not know? I mean, seems... if a messenger gets sent to the goblins at Battle of Five Armies, yeah. I mean, how is the Nazgul not going to come back and say, hey, boss, I smelled something? Yes. You know, or and I felt it, something. And it just – because it will def- it would be mind-boggling because they, because they always seem to have an idea of when the ring was nearby. And it will beg – and if they portray them there and they, and they don't notice the ring, the audience will wonder why. And it begs explanation, right. which means getting off into just like – you know, you end up going down a rabbit hole of trying to make oh, up some do. weird, yeah. ex, you know, so right. you end up having to have on-screen exposition explaining what's going on with the right. ring. And it's just better, better off not doing that. Now, Corey did propose the solution to this problem, uh, um, uh, um, you know, at the most recent Riddles in the Dark episode yesterday, which is, which is how do you deal with one character who's, you know, how do you deal with characters <laughs> who don't belong in the movie? You you send you send you distract some of them with another one, with so, another character. That yeah, look. Gollum's up wandering around, not supposed to be. The Nazgul are wa- not wandering around. Be. So how do we how do we deal with that? We have the Nazgul be consumed by capturing Gollum. <laughs> so that's a possibility. Well, now I do have Fairhund came up with some interesting ideas too, and actually the last point kind of points to what. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about here, but let me go through what he says. He says we could see elves and possibly men holding off whatever minion Sauron has on guard at Dol Guldur, if any, while the wizards' ring bearers use magic to ward off Sauron. And there could be non-fireball mind battles as part of the fight. Um, 
a la the flashes of the eye in, in Lord of the Rings. Hmm. Um, second point is we could see the three elven rings being used. Uh, the dwarf wing ring might somehow negative, act negatively on Thorin. Now, that doesn't have so much to do with the confrontation at Dol Guldur. That was another point that he made. Yes. Um, you know, that saying that it could, it could be acting negatively on him, much like the dragon sickness would. Uh, Sauron, and now this is the point that we were just talking about. Sauron might be a weakened present at BOFA. By the way, we have a new acronym, Battle of Five Armies, BOFA. <laughs> whispering things in people's ears to dishearten them or make them mistrust each other. And I thought that was an interesting t- thing, but I don't see that. I just see him being at, at, at BOFA at all in any form. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair point. Like, I think it's a, I, I think when you're trying to, when you're trying to wrap your brain around Sauron being at the battle and not saying, Hey, there's the ring. I should grab that. Yeah. <laughs> I think you could invent all kinds of ways where that you could pull that off. I just think that one, they're, uh, they just are uh, totally incompatible with, with Tolkien's world. Um, and two, the audience is not going to buy it. They just no. aren't going to buy it. There, there's just far too explanation. Too much explanation required to explain yeah. why it is that Sauron's there and the ring's right over there and he doesn't realize it and isn't grabbing it. You know what I mean? Like you'd have to – you have to ex, you have to do exposition, which is just not – you don't want to be stop. It would yeah. stop the action. Well, and the other thing, I mean it's, having Sauron at the Battle of Five Armies is so egregious. It's one of my favorite words. Yes. It's, it's as if – it was like – it reminds me of the original plan to have Arwen be at Battle of Helm's Deep. I mean, it's that bad of an idea to yeah. me. I, I, so I mean, off the story. I'll give I'll give Peter Jackson credit. I think it's even worse than that. Like Arwen, <laughs> I would have been offended if she'd been at the Battle of Helm's Deep, but it doesn't just defy logic in such yeah, a okay. gross way that as having yeah. having either Sauron or Nazgul at the or Battle of Five Nazgul, Armies yeah. flying around, you know, in the general vicinity of the One Ring, the only thing he <laughs> needs to seize control again, and That's just right. missing it. Like he just you make him a laughable villain if he does that. That's right. I know. I mean, it's just, it doesn't, it's not consistent. It's just not. Yeah. So anyway, but I, I do, uh, rolling into sort of my answer, because what Fairhund has said here actually bears onto mine. So if you're ready for mine. Go for it. Do, do, do. Well, I also said C, Avenger-style small band of superheroes versus evil horse battle. And one of the things that I was thinking of was I, uh, I also agree with Fairhund. I think we might see the three Elven Rings being used. Especially because I believe we will have Saruman and um, – uh, well, he doesn't have a ring. But Galadriel and Elrond will be at the Dol Guldur battle, and I'll bet you we see the three of them using their rings. Uh-huh. Um, I also think that the Nazgul will be at the Battle of Dol Guldur. I don't think they'll have anything to do with Bofa. I think – but I think we'll see them – I think they will be a force at, at whatever whatever kind of conflict we have at Dol Guldur. Um, so I think there's going to be – you know, an Avengers-style small band. Now, I could say it goes into D in the sense of Avengers-style small band that the Nazgul fend off, you know, our superheroes while Saruman, while Saruman makes his escape. So when they finally think they've been, you know, uh, victorious and they go in to seize the Necromancer, there's nobody there. But I just think it's going to be I, – I and I don't think it will be a big battle scene I, I, for the same reason you just said. I don't think it can be an epic battle because we don't have time for that. And I think even if it is in, in the first movie, I think it still takes too much away from the, the mm-hmm. mounting tension toward the Battle of Five Armies. Mm-hmm. But I can see this Avenger-style thing with the three rings and the you know, Nazgul. And it does seem – it does seem very – it seems like uh, – so setting aside whether it would be Avengers-style battling, uh, exclu- excluding conventional 
um, uh, warfare, it seems like far too great an opportunity for for some great sort of on screen oh, yeah. cool you know action. Legolas yeah. shield surfing, um, Saruman yes. and and Gandalf <laughs> throwing fireballs, and Galadriel right. and Elrond wielding the the rings that we know that they have. Right. So um, I, it right. just seems like I mean, it's the only it's the only time. I mean, it's the only place in any part of the movie where you'd be able to have the three rings doing some good, some cool stuff together. Yeah. You know. Yep. I agree. So it's just it's too it's too too rich an opportunity not to, to yeah. take advantage of that from from the standpoint of the kind of film that we expect they probably want to make and that the general audience will be expecting. So yeah. So yeah, I I, no, I, I think will that's say that D did D did attract me, you know, but I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. The only reason, you know, I just think there has to be on-screen action because you're going to have people, you're going to have the Dungeons and Dragons crowd in the movie, you know, in the theater. Yeah. And, yep. You know, they're going to want to see some action, and right. so I think it would be too anticlimactic. I, to I, just... I think, I think that that is the major flaw with D, the one that concerned me, because you get two things. One, you get no resolution of the of right. this, this storyline they've been building up, the threat of the the necromancer at Dol Gold, or you know, you just get this anticlimactic. Well, he's gone. Yeah. And and the other thing you get too is widespread disappointment that we you know basically all these awesome kick-ass characters were in it: Saruman and Galadriel and Legolas and Elrond and Gandalf and Radagast the Brown. And we have all these opportunities. We invented out this parallel storyline, not invented, but included this parallel storyline for them. And then they didn't do anything except sit around at a table and talk about stuff. Right. So <laughs> hang around, like... languish at Rivendell. You know, mm-hmm. and and theorize. Yeah, absolutely. No, I yeah. agree. So yeah, I, I, that is the major flaw. I will I will readily admit that that seems seems to you know seems to beg some kind of awesome some 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 kind of storyline. I mean, we, we do have you know there are actually like we talked in, in the troll digest about you know that being the first sort of action sequence, yes. and then we've got the we know we've got the spider fight, but I don't. But, but we but don't not, have this. But what I'm saying is spectacular. I'm saying. Know, yeah, I'm saying, and I'm saying action involving these particular Magic, characters. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and like exactly. Legolas, so interestingly, Legolas is only cast in the first film, which which ah. seems to indicate. You pointed that out, and it seems to indicate that he's not at the Battle of Five Armies. Yeah. And, uh, you know, okay, maybe he'll be leading the elves that capture the dwarves and save them from the spiders. But come on, that's that's not enough action. He needs to be like well, really I'm killing if maybe orcs. He goes to Dol Guldur and then he gets sent off to to pursue the Nazgul or something. Yeah. You know, I was I was thinking maybe that's maybe that's where he. Well, I always ends up. I always assumed he would be at Dol Guldur, um, but the fact that he's not in the second film, which precludes him being in the Battle of Five Armies. Right. Then they've got one chance to do some shield surfing, and that's the battle at Dol Guldur, which means that's there true. has to be a battle, not not <laughs> answer D. So that's an interesting. interesting well, well actually, there's a yes or no question. Will we see Legolas shield surfing in The Hobbit? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a good one. I, I, I did want to ask you, what, do you have any thoughts about sort of a good yes or no question related to this? I, was, I had been thinking about possibly um, – the two I had been contemplating were um, uh, uh, who will uh, – I was trying to get at – I wasn't sure how to formulate. I was either going to do who will play the necromancer in the first film, Benedict oh, Cumberbatch yeah. or Nathaniel Lees, or, or maybe more like will we see Benedict Cumberbatch play – the necromancer in the in the first film, 
Um, or the other one I had been thinking about was maybe the, the necromancer shape question, but I think we should set that one aside. There's a possibility that we might want to use that as, as one of the main questions. As one of the main questions. I yeah, think, the, I, think I like the, I like Legolas. I think that's a good question. I think we should ask, yeah, do we, will we see him shield surfing? I, I think that's, I think that's, especially now that we've sleuthed out the fact that he's not credited in the second movie. Yep. Uh, you know, I think a, you know, we're going to see, we know, and we're going to see him in the first movie. Yes. Um, but I think the question, then I think if, you know, I could see, I agree with you. I, I, he'll be at Dol Guldur and is he going to shield surf? Yeah. So your answer is yes. I think he is. I think we'll see him. I think you have to, cause you know, you got this Legolas fan club. Yeah. So I have a dilemma here, which is that my previous answer for question for episode seven (laughs) precludes shield surfing in the first film, but I highly doubt there will be zero shield surfing in either film, and it sounds like he's not even in the second film, which means there has to be shield surfing in the first film. All right, I'm just going to be inconsistent. I'm going to pick yes. I'm going to hedge my bets. Pick yes. Pick yes. Okay. Yes. One yeah, way or the other, I'll be right. Agreement so far on our yes, no questions. <laughs> yeah. One way or the other, I will be right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, this is very interesting. This is an extremely interesting. I mean, I'm kind of excited because we kind of uncovered some interesting yes questions here and dilemmas. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, it's. I mean, I'm going to have to mull over some of this. I may have to like. Bring you back to some of this stuff when we do another digest, just because I need to. That's fine. Mull over some I, of this I think stuff. the digest is a fine place to revisit old questions, and we're going to have well, to if we want to include. Uh, folks. Yeah. If we want Father Roderick to, no, no, he's done these, but on some of the future episodes, if we want him to to chime in, we're going to have to include him. Or, Plus, or I definitely want reason. to uh, include, um, uh, you know, any comments from our listeners as the result of them listening to you and I go back and forth today. So that is right. That is right. Um, okay. Well, uh, let's see. Any Have final comments? Episode like... six and seven. I don't think so. About I mean, you notice or... I'm shy about speaking up when I have something on my mind. Yes. Uh, do you? Do you? Let's see. Um, do you have any thoughts about? I mean, one one of the one of the things that that's inevitable when you're talking about some of these issues is is, is straying into the second film, which is generally we try not to, we try not to make predictions about the second film, but uh, it's inevitable. But uh, any thoughts about um, just the White Council storyline overall? The the one thing about this question is, it's the reason we included it at this point is we're assuming most of the White Council storyline will be in the first film, but. It doesn't have to be the case. Like you know, these, this question could equally applies equally well to White Council storyline spread across both films or in either film. Um, do you have any thoughts about? Do you think um, if you had to guess, where do you think most of the? Do you think they will be spread equally, or most of it in the first film, most of it in the second film? I think it's. I think you know, even though we've now sleuthed this and we see that the White Council is going to be in both films, mm-hmm. I think most of the story is going to be in the first film, for the very reason that you've said earlier, which is second film. The second film is going to be so much of the Battle of Five Armies and the Bilbo Smaug stuff. Yep. That the only thing I can really see, what makes sense to me about the White Council in the second movie would be, like I said, kind of as part of the epilogue. Maybe at Rivendell, good job, Bilbo, great. But then Gandalf, you know, then they maybe have a little bit of a conversation, and there's you know, some conversation about how uh, they've discovered maybe that you know necromancer wasn't the necromancer, and, and you know, there's still trouble, trouble, something like that. 
I just don't see there being much more than that of the White Council in the second movie because of because of what the focus is going to be in the second movie. I just think it, it, it you can't really accommodate much more than just that part of the epilogue, maybe. Yep. Yeah, I, the only way I could see there being substantial stuff in there would be um, uh, would be would be the way that uh, I guess it was was it Gary, um, Greg, Greg. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the only only plausible ex- yeah. only plausible formulation of movie two White Council stuff that I've seen, and I think it's a fascinating idea. I think it's just maybe a little too far fetched and complicated. Yeah. I, I think that writing that sounds. I, I think I think as a writing task, keeping these storylines generally separate, yeah. intermixing yeah. them in the films, but not intertwining the actual White Council story with the main storyline seems easier and less fraught to me. So as much as I think Greg's idea is pretty cool and I'd like to think about it some more, I, I just uh, right now I'm not willing to say that I think that's how it'll be. I, I'm sticking with most of the story will be in the first film, I think. So, Well, I think we've just about exhausted this topic, so uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Um, for now, anyway. Yes. We, the topic is never exhausted, but for now. Yeah, it's true. I don't think this one will completely die, especially with all that no. weird casting stuff we unearthed. Um, I know. And I'm kind of curious to hear what Corey has to say about some of this stuff, and Father Roderick, yeah. too. Father Roderick, oh, yeah. I know, will have a lot to say. Uh, oh, and we haven't gotten to do – no, he has done this episode, but I'm I've, I'm excited to hear more from him about it. Um so uh, anyway, thank you as always, Trish, and um, I want to thank all of our analysts. Uh, there's, of course, Corey and myself and Trish, Mark Fisher of Encyclopedia of Arda, Google it, Merrick and Golden Star, Casual Stroll to Mordor, um, and their Twitter is at Stroll to Mordor, Father Roderick Von Hogan of SQPN Secrets of the Hobbit, my partner on that podcast, Google it, and the Twitter is at Hobbit Podcast. Arwen of Middle Earth News, um, that is news.mymiddleearth.com, and her Twitter is at Middle Earth News. Lily and Olorio, who are also of Middle Earth News, and they're hosts of the Warriors of the Westfold podcast. Um, that's at, you can find more at radio.mymiddleearth.com. Their Twitter is at Westfold Warriors. And finally, The Last Alliance, the University of Alberta Tolkien Society. Uh, the la- or their URL is lastallianceuofa.com. And most of all, of course, thank you to our listeners. Please send any feedback you've got, um, particularly since I think we've unearthed some interesting new and potentially controversial ideas. So go put your feedback on uh, um, the MythGuard site. Um, I think the posts for these episodes will be separate, um, probably. But uh, you're welcome to also add new comments onto the original Reels in the Dark episodes that we referenced here. Um, and keep your ideas or keep your eyes open for changes to the website. If you're interested in contributing, send me an email, kale at mythgard.org. And otherwise, thank you for listening and Trish, take us away. Thank you for listening and Godspeed. We want to give a special thank you to John DiBartolo and the Lonely Mountain Band for allowing us to include their music in our podcasts. You can learn more about these songs, download samples, and buy their albums at minstrelsongs.com. If you are interested in getting involved in Riddles in the Dark or other Mythgard and Tolkien Professor productions, send an email to kale, K-A-L-E, at mythgard.org.